the larger catechism, sorry, that we're going to be considering this time around. We're going to, Lord willing, look at questions 70, 174 and 175 of the larger catechism. And so far, the larger catechism has helped us with the definition of the Lord's Supper. We, see that in, we, see that in, we saw that in question 168. We have also considered who should participate in the Lord's Supper. We did that last week. Uh, we, we took a look at the mechanics of the Lord's Supper, how it should be done, what to use, and so on. And then we, we looked at how we should prepare for it. Tonight, we finish our series using the larger catechism to help us grow in our understanding of the Lord's Supper by consider, considering what we should do as we partake of it, and then afterwards. So, as we are eating it, as we're sitting here, as, we, as the liturgy is going on, as we bless the bread, as we bless the, the cup, as we uh, wait to receive the elements, as we hold the elements in our hands, as we eat of it, what should we do during that whole time? And then afterwards, as we go home, as we think about what's going on, what, what happened at church and so on, what should we do then as well? These are the two things that we're going to try to look at tonight. And in question 174 and 175 are going to guide us. So I'm going to read aloud question 174. It asks, what is required of them that receive the sacrament, the Lord's Supper, in the time of the administration of it? It is required of them that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, that during the time of the administration of it, with all holy reverence and attention, they wait upon God in that ordinance diligently observe the sacramental elements and actions, heedfully discern the Lord's body, and affectionately meditate on His death and sufferings, and thereby stir up themselves to a vigorous exercise of their graces in judging themselves and sorrowing for sin, in earnest hungering and thirsting after Christ, feeding on Him by faith, receiving of His fullness, trusting in His merits, Rejoicing in His love, giving thanks for His grace, in renewing of their covenant with God and love to all the saints. And you say, but Tito, I'm, I'm trying to just keep the kids with, to not kill each other, and I'm supposed to do all this as well. Well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of words, but it's a little simpler, I think, when we start looking at exactly what we're doing there. In essence, you have to pay attention to what you're doing. That's really, it boils down to this. You need to pay attention to what you're doing. You need to focus on Christ. You need to remember what is it that you're doing. Why is it that you're doing that? You have to remember what is the bread, what's the cup. And those are things that you, may, you can even be having conversation with your kids about that during that time as well. So the, 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 the question teaches us that as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are to trust, that is to wait, in the Lord with reverence and attention. So we're to trust the Lord as we, we're participating in the Lord's Supper. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 17-22 teaches us that by saying that we're not to do the opposite. So if we're not to do the opposite, it means that we're to... Almost, if we're not to do this, it means that we're to do the exact opposite of what is, what is it that's forbidding. So... In, in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen 17, it says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. 
For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be, re be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating each, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and the other drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So Paul says you're not being reverent. You're not paying attention. You're not trusting the Lord when you're coming together. So what you're doing is not Lord's Supper. And by saying that, then, by implication, he's telling us we need to pay attention. We need to be reverent when we come to the Lord's Supper. It's not a happy, slappy um, occasion where we're just chatting about the weeks, uh, the, what happened the week, or planning to do next week, or catching up with other people. It is a serious event in which we are reverently paying attention to what is going on in... in um, in chapter, uh, same chapter, verses 26 and 27, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, who eats, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So you're doing something. You're, doing, you're proclaiming something as we're doing it. And if you're not paying attention to it, then we're not really proclaiming the right thing. If we're not doing it reverently, we're not proclaiming the right thing. Does it make sense to you? That it's not an empty act of obedience. We're not just doing it because God said, do it. We're actually making a proclamation. We're saying something, and it is saying something to us as well. And if we are not paying attention, if we're not reverent, trusting the Lord, we're not going to be that. We get the point, as Paul said in, earlier on in 1 Corinthians 11, that whatever it is that we're doing is not the Lord's Supper, if we're not doing the way that the Bible commands us to do. Any questions on that? Yes, the arm of Scott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You go back to the previous screen, and this, this has always confused me. Uh, verse 19. It all, it, when they talk about factions, it's, it's like, you know, you need to be No, go forward. Right there. Yeah. Um, it almost seems like verse 19, where it says, for there must also be factions. Mm hmm. It almost seems like that's a positive thing, where the rest of it is, is all negative. How does that fit in? Well, it's kind of a side note. Like it, it's um, digression. Uh, Paul's saying it shouldn't be divisions, but divisions are necessary because it then shows who is right and who is wrong, and so on. And so, in essence, Paul is saying that because the church is made of sinful people, you are going to have denominations. That, in essence, what these are the divisions are. And in those divisions, then the leaders will rise up to the top. The godly leaders will, will do that and so on. So it was, it was, the divisions are bad, but since we have them and they're going to be there, there is a profit to having those divisions. So verse 19 is a, a digression that's not germane to the, um, the argument. And Paul is known to do that throughout his writings, where he goes, he starts a sentence, and then it seems like that reminds him of something, and then he goes for 10 verses on that, and then he continues that sentence 10 verses later. <clears throat> Often in our translations, you have parentheses. So if you take that out, you, their argument continues without any, any problem. But we're not going to take it out because it's inspired word of God and is helpful and so on. But that's what that is, a little digression. Uh -huh. Anything else? All right, so it, uh, the question also says... 
that we are to participate in the when we as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we must pay attention to what is going on. That is, we need to pay attention to the actual liturgy of what's going on. There's a reason why we pray and we bless the cup, the, the bread, and there's a reason why you, we um, pray and bless the cup. There's a reason why we pass, the elders pass the elements. Uh, there's a reason why we do it sitting down. We're going to look at that in just a second. There's a reason why we are not coming forward to receive uh, the elements. There are some churches that, that do that. I don't know if you know I don't know if you noticed lately, the last few weeks, but I'm not holding the cup in my hand anymore when I pray for the cup. I don't know if you... But everything we do in worship says something, whether we mean it or not. And the reason I'm doing that is because I, 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 I was thinking that could give the impression that I was literally blessing that one cup that I'm holding in a very Roman Catholic way, like this cup right here, and I'm going to pray for it, and something's going to happen to it. Whereas we're just praying for the Lord to sanctify everything to us at that moment. So part of, of being fed in the Lord's Supper is paying attention to what's going on and understanding what is going on. I often try to explain. And now some people say, why... Do you say every Sunday that there is grape juice on the outer ring and there is wine in the other rings? Because every single Sunday when we're passing it out, people ask us. No joke. No joke. Literally every Sunday, we're passing the elements. So, so which one is wine? Which one is grape juice? So part of benefiting is paying attention. So you know what is... Uh, going on. So, uh, uh, Jesus, when he was instituting it, this is from Matthew, is in all three synoptics. He says, uh, Matthew says, as, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, and, and the, the demonstrative pronoun is important, take, eat, this is my body, right? He's, he's not, say, apostles, disciples, this is, my, pay attention, this is my body, not something out there, not the beautiful butterfly flying around, not the shiny things. This is my body. You know, uh, so the this, the pay attention to what Jesus is saying is important. For this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. So th- this is important that we are paying attention. And uh, the, the, the catechism thing largely says that we benefit from the sacrament <laughs> by actually paying attention to what is... Uh, going on. Does it make sense to you? All right. Any questions on that? As we participate in the Lord's Supper, we must be thinking about the relation of the sacrament to Christ's person work. That's the sacramental um, uh, part of... Sorry, I might have been one slide ahead. Oh, that's still on this one. We need to participate, pay attention. We have to be thinking about what's the relationship with the sacrament to Christ's person work. What is it signifying? What is it that we are thinking about? What is it that we are celebrating? What, what are we proclaiming by the sacrament? What is it that we say about Christ? What is it that we say about His person? What are we saying about His work? Uh, in in First Corinthians eleven, um, verse nineteen. 29, Paul says, 
For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So we need to be discerning, we need to be thinking about what is going on here. What is this telling me about Christ? And I don't mean in a subjective way, it's saying the same thing to everybody. Who Christ is and what he has done on the cross. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, um, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So again, what is that the sacrament telling us about Christ and about who he is as the head of the church? And we, as the body of Christ, these are things that we're thinking about. And it doesn't take that long. There's enough time in the passing of the elements for us to be considering that. I just highlighted the wrong part of the... It should be the previous clause, not this clause that's highlighted for this slide. Uh, <clears throat> any questions on that? As far as the, uh, this, we, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we benefit by thinking about the relationship between, between the sacrament and who Christ is and what he's done. Are we okay with that? Okay. Also, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we meditate on Christ's suffering and death in order to actively benefit from the grace of the sacrament. Um, we, we, we are heedful of the, the, to discern the Lord's body and affectionately meditate on his death and suffering and affectionately meditate on his death and sufferings and thereby stir up themselves to a vigorous exercise of their graces. So we benefit, as we are participating, to think about the, the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. By his stripes we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. And the suffering goes beyond the whipping that he, the, the scourging that he suffered, the crucifixion. The, 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 the misery of his life even consists of becoming a human and suffering under, um, in the midst of, of a sinful uh, humanity there as well. And then we, we contemplate his death. Why did he die? He died for me and, uh, um, because I'm a sinner. And, and, and those things are a ways for us to get hold of the grace of God as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, Luke says this in giving us the account of the institution. And he, that's Christ, took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. The shedding of the blood is the suffering. We need to be thinking about that as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are to judge our own sins and feel sorrow for them. So we, we are judging ourselves. We're thinking about the, the, what, our own sins and, and sorrow over, over them. Um, Paul says, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened, by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So we were judging ourselves, we're soaring of our sins, repenting of them, 
And we benefit tremendously as we do that. And again, it, it doesn't have to take a lot of time. It, um, you can even choose a sin a week. We would have, don't worry, it would be lots of weeks that we can go here and then we can restart again uh, on, the, on that and to think about that. Does it make sense? Any questions on this? And as we participate in the Lord's Supper, according to this question, we hunger and thirst after Christ and feed on Him by faith. That's what we're doing. So we, we hunger after Him, we thirst after Him, and we feed on Him by faith. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So we need to hunger for that bread. We need to hunger for that uh, uh, wine there. That's what Paul did in Philippians 3, 7 through 9. That describes his whole life, including when he partook of the Lord's Supper, that he is pursuing Christ. And as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we renew our covenant with God and love uh, to his people. It's a covenantal meal. We're renewing our love for God and our love for each other as we partake of it. Paul, uh, the, Luke says in Acts, they continue steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, in the break of bread, and prayers, and says, and the church grew and prospered. There's this benefit, this growth in love and covenant renewal as uh, we do that. This is not a common meal. Some people said, why don't you just have a, a dinner party for the Lord's Supper? Because it's not supposed to be that. As a matter of fact, Paul says that, don't you have houses to eat? Don't come here to get full. Don't come here to, to get uh, drunk. It's, a, it's not that kind of meal is a sacramental meal there. Any questions on how we should participate? How the things we're doing as we are doing the liturgy, as we're paying attention, as we're eating the bread, drinking the cup, hearing the prayers, and so on. Um, Tilly. So to exercise the grace is whatever grace God has given to you, the grace to resist sin, the grace to uh, submit to your husband, the grace to be a godly sister to the other women in the church, the grace, whatever that is. So, so you, you, work, you meditate and do these things so that you can vigorously exercise the, their, their graces, the grace that God gives you to do these things that you are asking him to, struggling with, the sins that you're meditating, confessing, sorrowing over. Does it make sense? So that's that the... vigorous exercise isn't during the... No, 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 no. no, no. We're not going to be taking laps or anything like that. No. Yes. <coughs> Any other questions? Okay. Now, the, uh, the Lord's Supper has a time release. We don't benefit from it just during the, the time that we're taking it. We benefit from it as we also... Think about it afterwards. Question 175 asks, What is the duty of Christians after they have received the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? The duty of Christians after they have received the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is seriously to consider how they have behaved themselves therein and with what success. So think about the things that you did in question 174. right? 
Um, if they find quickening and comfort to bless God for it, beg the continuity of, of it, watch against relapses, fulfill their vows, and encourage themselves to a frequent attendance on that ordinance. But if they find no present benefit, more exactly to review... So, sorry, but if they find no present benefit, more exactly to review their preparation to and carriage at the sacrament, in both which, if they can approve themselves to God in their own consciences... They are to wait for the fruit of it in due time. But if, if they see that they have failed in either, they are to be humbled and to attend upon it afterwards with more care and diligence. So the, 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 what it's saying is that the, the Lord's Supper is always a means of grace, and if you're not getting it, you're the problem. <laughs> That's what the question is saying, that, that you need to look at your own heart, look at to, to, to see what is going on there. As we go on with our Sabbath every Lord's Day, we should take time to evaluate what we did during the Lord's Supper. Thank God for whatever benefit you received or received uh, and ask Him to continue to bless us with those benefits. Uh, we are to look forward to the next time you participate in the Lord's Supper. Uh, that's something that we need to be anticipating, train ourselves to anticipate the whole Sabbath day and especially the worship of God and as we come together for the Lord's Supper. And when you can't figure out if there was any benefit, if you can't, uh, I don't think I'm closer to God, I don't think he's helped, that I've received any grace, then the question says, do one or two things. Well, do two things at least. Consider whether you didn't prepare yourself properly, observe properly. Consider whether you are harboring sin in your heart. Those are the two things that you should consider. And, and then wait for the benefits to come in due time. And if there is no benefit whatsoever, then humble yourself and be more diligent to prepare yourself in the future. Preparation is a big deal. Uh, and, but we tend to not do that for worship whatsoever. We tend to just come cold and then we end up pulling a spiritual muscle uh, when we do that and there's no benefit because really there's no thinking that goes into worshiping. There's no preparation. There's just plopping on the pew and then saying, okay, your job now to get me worshiping. And that's not the case. Uh, we are the ones that are coming before the Lord. Any questions on question 175 and answer? Okay, yes, Katie. There are dumb questions, so let's see if that's one. <laughs> Listen to the message from last week. Uh, so, no, so, so the whole thing was so look at question 173 of the, short, of the larger catechism and, and talk about preparation. For, and that's what we considered. And it's a, no, that's good. I can, you can, I can tell you, you can go to OBPC Lessons on Spotify or whatever your preferred podcast delivery method is and listen to last week's um, lesson on how you prepare yourself for the Lord's Supper. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's, but that would be a good way to start. And if you listen to it and still have questions, then we can talk some more about that. Any other questions? All right, I want to share with you a statement that our session um, prepared, a position paper that our, on the Lord's Supper that our session prepared a few years ago 
to wrap up all that we've talked about concerning uh, the Lord's Supper. So I'll, I'll put paragraph by paragraph on the screen. It'll be easier than if I read and you just listen. Uh, the statement says this, God in His goodness and grace gave to His church the sacrament, the Lord's Supper, as a means by which He gives grace to His people. It is an occasion when the whole person is engaged in the worship of God, both body and soul, which include a whole range of emotions. Are you okay so far? Anything that doesn't make sense to you in this statement, in this paragraph? So, um, body and soul, right, is a sensual uh, activity, right? We're using all our senses, touch, smell, taste, vision, hearing. Um, we're all using all of them in the Lord's Supper, right? And there's a range of emotions that we should be feeling during those times, okay? Are you okay? Are you good for the next one? It'll be bigger, longer, I mean. According to our catechism, the Lord's Supper, also referred to in the Scriptures as communion, confirms to the believer his or her union with Christ. It is of the utmost importance that partakers understand that eating the bread and drinking the cup signifies that we are part of the body of Christ, united to Him by faith. In addition to pointing to our union with Christ... The Lord's Supper is a time when the people of God commune with the Lord Jesus and with each other. Thus, it's not merely a time of private worship between the Christian and Jesus. Rather, it is time when the whole body communes with its head. That's one of the reasons why we don't do private communion. We don't go to somebody's house and just go to a hospital and do private communion because it is the body communion with the head, but also communion with one another. That's why a family doesn't do that at home. It's not given to the family. It's not given to the individual. It's given to the church to partake, to, to observe the Lord's Supper. Any questions on this screen? Brennan. In No. I don't think so. Now you could get a you can get a bunch of people from church and go and have a church service, but they can also read the Bible and pray. Those are also means of grace. You're not getting a separate grace from the Lord's Supper, right? So it's for the gathered church. If it's not the gathered church, then it's not meant to happen. Okay. Then I like the Zoom communion. It doesn't exist. Whatever it is, it's not the Lord's Supper. <laughs> well, I guess that's... Do you think it's... I don't say this without sounding... People... Ne- that has never stopped for me, Katie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you think that they just weren't thinking about this? Or why... Like, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out why you would even bother. Like, why a lot of churches would even bother with that. Like, why not... Right. It, I... I it, um... The, the virtual communion, the um, grab the juice and the bread on the way out sort of church. I've been in a church that did that. That kind of stuff. It's actually an, uh, not understanding the importance in the theology of the Lord's Supper. There's a physicality to the church. God meant the church to be gathered together. And one of the ways we know that is that the sacraments, the two sacraments, the two things that, that this 
the, uh, the Lord said here, these are object lessons that I'm going to give to you to help you understand me, are physical. And then somebody might say, well, but that's because that was the first century. You know, we're in the 21st. Well, do you think God could have chosen to reveal himself now in the Bible and say, now you're going to do it virtually? He could have. It's not like he didn't know that the internet was going to be created. It's not like he didn't know that Zoom was going to be used. It's not like he didn't know there was going to be uh, a, a world chaos over the last two years. And yet, the God who knew that still chose to reveal himself as one who is to be worshipped physically. Does that make sense? So I think it's a misunderstanding of the body and soul aspect of the person the physicality of the worship and the importance of the gathering, the physical gathering of God's people. And some of these are the benefit of the doubt, but it also seems to be the thoughtless. Yeah. Yeah. And superstitious too. Any other questions about this screen? All right, next one. We're almost done. The Lord's Supper is not a regular meal, as Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 11, 20-22. Thus, it is not the sitting together to eat dinner as we would with our families at our homes. Even at the institution of this sacrament, our Lord waited till the regular meal was over in order to introduce the sign of, of renewal of the new covenant. So Jesus was a Passover evening, but he waited till the meal was over. He didn't introduce it during the meal. The meal was over, and then he introduced uh, the Lord's Supper. Any questions on that? Scott? Well, I'm looking at, at the um, verses here. I'm reading it, but the term supper refers to the eating of a meal. And that goes back to verse 20, verses 21. And I guess it's, um, but it, the Lord's Supper doesn't refer to the communion. Because as he says, and I'm just questioning the word, I'm just trying to wrap my understanding around the word for the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Is they're talking about they gather together for a meal, and those that are hungry should eat at home, mm-hmm. eat their supper at yeah. home. And the rebuke is that they're eating, or part of this is the rebuke is that they're eating, some people are eating a lot, and other people are not getting anything up for their food. Yeah. But that. Then I come back to there's no reference to the words Lord's Supper anywhere around the bread and wine. So you're questioning if that's the Lord's Supper? Well, I think I'm just saying, I'm thinking maybe we're using the wrong term. Maybe it's the Lord's communion. Nah, supper is fine enough. 2,000 years of uh, more intelligent people than you and I have figured (laughs) figured that. And, uh, you know, it is... Uh, Jesus says, with, the, with the great desire, I have desired to eat to this, this meal with you. That's the word for, can be translated as supper as well in the Gospels. So the Lord's Supper is it's a fine, uh, it's called a meal, right? I'm confused because it says the Lord's Supper in the... Yeah, I thought so too, yeah. I mean, I can look it up in yeah. something else, but it says in verse 20, the Lord's Supper. Yeah. So... That's what it is. And it can be called communion, it can be called Eucharist, it can be called all kinds of other things. Derek? We, in current day, we 
but the, the main point Paul is making in that particular passage is that it is not the meal for you. It, the purpose of the meal is not satisfaction of physical hunger. So the amount of bread is irrelevant to what you're doing. So that's the, the, the point that uh, the Greens the are being rebuked because they're emphasizing the amount of bread when that was not the point. So. But there wasn't, right? Because other people weren't getting it. So it wasn't like there was this huge feast and everybody was eating a lot. No, there was some amount of food and some people were just stuffing their faces and not thinking of other people. Kind of like Sunday dinner sometimes. Right? So just like that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the next screen is a little more tiny, but I think this might be our last one. No, there's one more. Uh, the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of Christ's death to be observed till he comes back. There are several elements in proclaiming Christ's death that must be present as we partake of the Eucharist. It includes self-examination, which implies a certain level of introspection. It includes great joy. So here, remember the first one said a range of motions? So here we go. It includes great joy because his, by his stripes we are healed. His death conquered death for us and we rejoice in that. It also includes confident expectation for his return because we were made to be with him as whole people. Thus, it reminds us that he is not physically with us, but we will one day see the risen Lord face to face. It is a sober occasion, so I'll get in contrast to joy, they'll have sobriety, uh, uh, another emotion, sober occasion, because it shows us the darkness of our sin that nailed the Savior whom we love to the cross. It includes mourning for sin, another emotion. And yet, for God's people, this is a time of, to acknowledge and rejoice in the fact that grace has overwhelmed <coughs> sin. This is, this is the bread and the cup of redemption and salvation. Our hearts ought to be full of love and gratitude for our Savior. See, the range of emotions that we're supposed to be going through as we observe the Lord's Supper. We must feed upon Him with our souls as we renew our covenant with God and with all the saints. And then lastly, at our church, we strive to implement these ideas in the following ways. The pastor reads scriptures that bring out the nature of the sacrament. These scriptures may not be explicitly about the sacrament itself, but they do communicate the glory of Christ and His work on behalf of His church. Since then, we've, we've become more convinced that should be the words of institution. That's why we read 1 Corinthians 11. Along with the scriptures, explanation regarding our approach to the sacrament is given in order to train our brothers and sisters how to partake of it properly. So um, there's things I say every Sunday, there are things I say once a month, there are things I say every six weeks. But if you, you see that, there's all this instruction going on as we partake of the Lord's Supper. We all partake of the elements together to show our unity in partaking of it. Remember I said we're going to wait, and when all, all of us have it, we'll partake of it together. There is no distinction in the partaking between clergy and laymen because in Christ we are all one. So is, there's no time in which this I or the elders partake or just the people partake. We all are, every time we have Lord's Supper, is everybody partaking of it. That's why we don't do communion at weddings. 
Because one of two things will happen. A bunch of unbelievers are going to be invited to take communion, or the pastor just serves the bride and the groom. Both are wrong things to do. Right? And, and usually it's based on superstition anyway. Because why is it that you want to do it at the wedding? What is it? Um, we partake of it sitting in keeping with our theological belief that we rest in Christ for our salvation and with the idea of receiving the sacrament instead of taking it. Um, people say, but the Passover, they partook standing up ready to go. Yes, till they enter the land. And then when they enter the land, they were to sit and partake of the Passover, signifying the rest that they received by having entered the promised land. Following the sacrament, the pastor exhorts the congregation to rejoice in Christ because he's risen, and we sing a hymn that emphasizes the resurrection, the praises of God, and or our joy. And for the past few years, we've been singing the doxology after the Lord's Supper. The tune of this hymn is usually an up-tempo and major in nature, which is true of the doxology. That was in the critiques of that tune when it was first uh, introduced to the Reformed faith. It was too peppy uh, and it was not dignified enough for the church. It was a, a Genevan uh, jig. Any questions about that? Yes, Jordan. Would it be wrong in the sin, in the sense that somebody's going to go to hell and we should stop, stop, we're going to... No. But it, I think it's a misunderstanding of what we're doing because now, now it's no longer us communing with our head is Jordan and Zayan and Alex and individually instead of together. So again, everything we do in worship communicates something. So let's try to communicate the best we can. Does it make sense? So, is it wrong? Let's use the word preferable. It's not preferable. Okay. Darren. Uh, what are the implications of getting up going forward? Um, there's the idea of, again, of, of, of being served. Christ served the elements. And the idea of coming to the people and passing the elements um, conveys that better. Again, same answer that I gave to Jordan. It's, it's preferable to communicate the best we can. right? Because it says we're proclaiming something about Christ. So let's look at the whole theology of the Bible and do that. Um, there's also the, 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 the uh, distraction of coming forward. I was one church once where they did that. And it was like market time. Everybody just talking to everybody and catching up on the week and hadn't seen and you know so could be done better probably, but that that's something that could easily happen there too. And logistic is another thing as well. But that would be a lower category. Um, but like so you're Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe I missed it, what you're saying, but like, what is the reason that the church would have you stand up, walk to the front, take it from the elders? I don't know, maybe the elders are lazy, don't want to know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I do not know. Because 
if we're going to try to pattern as much as we can, it's obvious that they were sitting and when they received the elements and their elements were passed that way. So, the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church does that because um, is the, uh, since Christ is, the, the bread and the wine are physically Christ, they don't want anybody to drop it. They don't want any crumbs to fall or drops to fill. So that's why they have to come and the priest has to put in your mouth or in your hands when you have it cupped and so on. We covered that a couple weeks ago. Uh, uh, Katie said that she had a friend that said if she didn't let the priest put in. Yeah. If you don't let the priest put in your mouth, you're not a very good Catholic. But that's not part. But that's why they would have you come because of that superstitions, superstition. Any other questions? Hannah. I don't have the term right, but um, what would the reason be for people doing intincture? Intincture? Intincture. Because they're the PCA. That's, they like new things, I guess. Uh, um, the Roman Catholic Church did that for a while since Vatican II. Intincture is dipping the bread into the wine and just passing that out. Um, there's no biblical basis for it. I mean, nowhere in the Bible we find that really being done. So I don't understand why somebody would do that, other than be more Roman Catholicish and ease, I guess. Soggy bread is easier to pass or something. I don't know. I don't see, I don't understand why that was done. But it was a big movement in the PCA. All right, so that's the end of our larger catechism on the Lord's Supper series. I hope it was helpful. If you didn't like it, blame Jerry because he asked the question about it. So, <laughs> uh, and I hope it was helpful to all of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the, for the sacrament, the Lord's Supper, you've given to us. I pray that you'd bless it to us even as we partake of it weekly. And we pray to help us to have our minds engaged as we partake of it. We pray dismiss us with your blessings tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.